Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, are we just going to talk about G.T. Miller for this whole episode? I mean, it's not like no one on Twitter or the thousands of athletic articles haven't been talking about him. So, yeah, I mean, someone's got to fill the gap of the J.T. Miller news. And it's uh, it's my entire feed. I was scrolling through today. J.T. Miller, J.T. Miller. It's like, hey, I love the player, but maybe it's just time to trade him just so we can talk about something else. Uh, but we will talk about J.T. Miller, but we have a lot of other Canucks stuff talk about as well we have the draft coming up coaching changes we have brock besser uh there are a few minor signings some other stuff around the league um but first of all doug it's also our last episode before we are hosting the official canucks speakeasy draft party at the american yeah i mean thursday's the draft uh pete you and i are planning to get there for 3 30 yeah, we've got a couple of spots filled up. Uh, the American has promised to put the sound on for us during the draft, which I think was obviously a big selling point for you and I when picking a, a location to try and host this meetup slash draft party. Um, so yeah, if you haven't already RSVP'd uh, Pete and I, uh, we still have some space. Uh, give us a haul, hoot or a holler in our DMs or at the Canucks Speakeasy DM. And join us for the draft party, and then we can really discuss what the Canucks do or don't do. Yes, and space is limited to a point. We do, like Doug said, we do have a few spaces left, but we also just don't want to piss off the American staff too much because, yeah, it is hard to find someone who's willing to put sound on for the draft because, let's face it, it is kind of a nerdy thing to request, uh, even at a, a bar that plays a lot of sports, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Thankfully, the draft is on at a time where I'm sure they're not going to be crazy busy. It's not like, you know, it's Friday night at 8 p.m. and we're asking them to put the draft on and we're listening to Pierre Maguire, which is probably the only reason why I don't want the audio on for the draft now is because I don't know if you heard the news, Pete, but Sportsnet have announced that Pierre Maguire is going to be draft uh, joining them for the draft coverage so we yeah. can get to hear what high school some of these kids went to in northern Ontario, which I'm not looking forward to. Um, so I, I get why most places aren't keen on putting the draft on, but kudos to the American for doing it for us. And thankfully, the draft starts at a reasonable time where I'm sure it's not really cutting into their prime hours of selling booze. Man, I don't think Pierre Maguire listens to this podcast, but if he does, man... Sorry, Pierre, but you're annoying as fuck to listen to. Like, you just, you know, it's it's just the way he delivers. I, I mean, he knows a lot about hockey, but his whole delivery, the way he comes across, he just comes across as arrogant and a know-it-all, and I just don't like his style at all. It's like, why why Sportsnet? Why would why would you do this? I mean, maybe it'll go terribly wrong and give us a laugh, but uh, I, I'm really quite disappointed that we're going to have to sit through Pierre Maguire. I mean, they got enough good people. Why bring in a bad one? Yeah, I agree. And you know what? Like, I missed the draft coverage from TSN. I know TSN's kind of fallen off the last few years, but, like, I want to see Bob McKenzie, dude. Like, I want to I hear what Bob has to say. You know, he's he's one of my favorite personalities in hockey media, obviously, the Bob father. Um, but, no, instead, we're going to be stuck with the likes of Pierre Maguire. I, I expect Bob McKenzie to be active on Twitter that day, hopefully, at least. So we'll get a little bit of Bob in there. I sure hope, and I mean, you got you got Sean McKenzie, so I mean, hey, that's uh, that's close, right? It's one McKenzie, but not not the Bob Father. We want the real McKenzie. Ooh, like the band. 
Exactly, exactly. Local band, if I remember. I know I've seen them here a couple of times. Celtic punk from the 90s. Anyways, we could go off on a tangent there. But draft party. I feel like they're from Boston. I feel like they're from Boston. I don't know. They might be. I could be wrong, though. Or maybe that's Flogging Molly, I'm thinking. Yeah, I've seen Flogging Molly a couple times. too. All those those kind of Celtic punk bands all sound the same, and they all sound like the Dropkicks. So... Uh, it is it is very possible. Um, draft party, though, at the American. It's on Main Street. It's going to be a good time. We got a really good crew, a little bit of a who's who of Canucks Twitter, a nice little sample from across the spectrum, and hopefully some more joining us. So please do come on down. We're going to make it a lot of fun. We're going to make sure everybody gets to chat with everyone, you get to meet some people, and talk the draft and nerd out and throw a fit when whatever happens happens and we can all laugh and cry and hug it out together. Yeah. I mean, I'm mostly looking forward to be able to wear my Mitch Marner Jersey in public. So, well, the one that you picked up in Toronto when you were there all that time, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's like going to be like your, uh, your WWE heel move, right? You come in with the Canucks Jersey on. And then when I'm not looking, you hit me in the back with a a basket of down low chicken and rip off your Canucks Jersey. (laughs) And there's Mitch Marner. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> right, well, I, I, I can't wait. That's a, that's his heel turn. That'll get us through to uh, to WrestleMania. Um, what else is happening these days, Doug? I mean, uh, we we actually kind of back to back weeks recording after kind of being a little staggered there with not a lot of Canucks news. Uh, at least, uh, what's happening in your world? I mean, not much. Back at work this week. Uh, thankfully, I had uh, Canada Day off, and uh, you know, I was able to take some time out in the sun. Uh, kind of put my feet in a river and just kind of sat in a chair drinking some beer and uh, went to a friend's barbecue after that. But other than that, man, yeah, just, you know, keeping a low profile and looking forward to the draft party. I mean, the amount of times I'm refreshing Twitter to see if there's any Canuck news, whether that's a Miller trade, a Garland trade, a Myers trade, the Besser re-signing, which I'm sure will break down. It's, uh, yeah, it's just off-season mode right now as far as Canuck fandom goes. What river did you put your feet in? I don't know. It was one in North Vancouver, like literally just across the bridge. Uh, a buddy of mine, um, he had some friends that drove us out there, and then we just kind of put our feet in the river, uh, which was nice. Uh, he did a job in that area, and he found this little river spot. And so it was the, there wasn't a lot of people there at all. We saw a couple of people floating down the little river on inner tubes. But, uh, yeah, we just kind of – he had a couple of, uh, like, lawn chairs, and we just kind of – set them up on the rocks and had our feet in the river and it was just nice and relaxing. And it was a very calm, mellow Canada day, which the last thing I wanted to be doing on Canada day was be on a crowded beach somewhere or in a crowded, you know, place where there's just thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, that's, uh, that's completely fair enough. What about you, Pete? What's going on with you? Hmm, What is going on? It's been busy really busy lately work and walking tours are going but i've been fortunate to get out to a couple breweries uh my bike is in the shop now so no biking for a little bit so that's unfortunate but yeah otherwise just uh trying to enjoy the chill time when i can and uh but it's just been really busy lately like every night this week something's going on and some of it's fun like the aforementioned draft party but uh, I'm also just racing to try and get caught up at the brewery and a few other things as well. But, yeah, overall good. I took Canada Day off as well and had a nice little long weekend. Just stayed in town and kept it pretty chill. So, so yeah. 
things are overall pretty good. You can find us on Twitter, which is important if you want to join us for the draft party. I'm at Pete underscore gas, and the podcast is at Canuck Speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn, and check out the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Every week, Pete and I pick a song that we want to use as the kind of background music to the outro of every episode. And we compile the playlist over on Spotify. So be sure to check it out. And Pete, since you edited the last episode, what song did you end up using? And tell the fans and the listeners out there, you know, about the track that you ended up using. And I actually struggled this time to figure out what I wanted to hear. I was looking through my search history, looking for the records I'd recently played. And a lot, like pretty much everything was an artist that we'd already used on the podcast. But it's summertime, and I mean, I always listen to a lot of Tribe Called Quest, but especially in summertime, there's just something about it. And uh, Beats, Rhymes, and Life has been an album that I've had in steady rotation lately. I believe it's their fourth album. I've always been like a huge low-end theory guy, but I like all their albums, uh, even their last one that they did. But Beat Rhymes, and Life, I think, is kind of the the silent, sneaky, awesome album that they did that people often forget about, because I always think of low-end and Midnight Marauders and people's instinctive travelers so i took a track called the jam off of there i could have taken just about any track but i just took the jam because it's uh it's got a pretty fun beat and uh and like the little samples they use in there and um it's just a cool track but we used tribe called quest way back when on episode seven i had to go back and find it so i was like you know what 109 episodes later I think uh, it's okay to use Tribe Called Quest again. So there is now a couple of Tribe Called Quest songs in the playlist. But that is The Jam by A Tribe Called Quest, one of my favorites. And I know there's been a couple artists we've used a couple of times. Like I, I know we used Diggable Planets twice. Um, so to use Tribe again, I mean, they're obviously one of the legendary hip-hop groups of all time. Totally makes sense. Love that album. Love that song. I thought it worked really well with the outro for the last episode. And I mean, like you said, uh, how can you go wrong with Tribe? Their last album, though, you know, one they put out just before Fife unfortunately passed away, was incredible as well. I thought it was yeah. a really, really good album. Yeah, it was. Um, and Q-Tip is, you know, an innovator and a pioneer in hip hop. And, you know, not only just, you know, as an MC, but as a producer. And yeah, I mean, if you're not listening to Tribe, you've got to, you, you, you got to do your research, do some homework there. When when I was uh, in Uzbekistan years ago, and I ended up becoming friends with these Uzbekistani rappers, because one of them worked at my hotel, uh, and they loved rap, but all the stuff that they got from the States was just like the big stuff. Like they loved Eminem, and they loved Dr. Dre and stuff. They'd never heard of Tribe Called Quest, so I had to give them a little bit of info on Tribe Called Quest and leave some stuff. They mailed them uh, like a burned Tribe Called Quest CD or something as well uh, once I got back to Canada. I don't know if they ever got it, but it's the thought that counts, right? Um, Doug. It's a cool story. Yeah, yeah. Hanging out with Uzbekistani rappers. So it's, uh, that, that, was, uh, that was a time in my life. Um, Doug, let's start, with, uh, let's start with Brock Besser today because that was a nice piece of business, something to get off the the plate of things to get done besser is signed whether that is the end of the conversation or not remains to be seen what do you think of the deal i think look i I think both sides came to a reasonable compromise you know if i was to go by the 
cold, hard numbers. I would have liked to have gotten Besser in for a little bit less. You know, 6.25, 6.3, you know, I think is an ideal number. But I think given what the qualifying offer he was entitled to, uh, I think both sides gave in and came to a compromise. And I also think the one thing this really showed to me is how much Besser wants to be in Vancouver still. Um, and I think that's, you know, the fact that he hit, he gave up as much as he did from what the qualifying offer was going to be. I, I think that goes to show just how much he wants to stay here. And then there was a really good article. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, Pete, but there's a really good article, I believe, for the province that Ian McIntyre wrote. Uh, but he did a post kind of interview of Besser after he had signed the contract. And, you know, Besser was very candid and very honest about how stressful last year was and just how mentally drained he was and how... You know, he he wasn't really focused on hockey given everything that was happening, you know, in his personal life. And, you know, this year he's really focusing on next season and wants to go into next season with a clean slate. And uh, I think we're going to see the best out of Besser. And I predict that we'll we'll see his first 30 goal season next year. I think uh, anyone who watched Besser play could see that last year. It just he was on, off, on, off. And that was always... The question in this market is who is Brock Besser? We always see him as like a 30, 35 goal man, a 65 point guy, but he hasn't done that. And he's 25 years old now. Uh, he now basically, this is in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a show me deal as well. This walks him into unrestricted free agency at the end of it, a three year deal. So it'll be a 28 year old UFA. Uh, he does have a modified no trade in the final year of that, which uh, it may come into play, may not. And, you know, there's a part of me that thinks it's like, oh, well, there's no no trade in this. The Canucks could still trade him, but I don't think the Canucks want to trade him. I think they want to see what they have. I know he's very close with some of the guys on the team, and I think they want to keep the core together. When I originally saw this, I was like, oh, you know, nice, tidy piece of business, but they still could trade him. I'm not sure if that is still on the table or not, because like you said, he wants to be here. Um, it would have been a good time for him to take a fresh start if he wanted to. That seven and a half million qualifying offer, that's also only a one year deal, right? So he's he could have had seven and a half million in his pocket, or he could have had nineteen million plus in his pocket. So uh there is from him as well overall money and, and a bit of security with taking this. Sounds like the Canucks came up quite a bit in uh their AAV over the last couple of days before it was signed because i was i've always said i was kind of with you i was like six and a quarter was kind of like near the top of what i thought besser was like for me this is a high aav for a winger with the stats that brock besser has what the canucks are paying for a little bit more here is to get out of that messy qualifying offer that this regime was was handed and also just find something that works in comparison to comparables out there in the league, which has, of course, gone up, and something that fits into the Canucks' salary cap structure because he can't be making more than Pedersen. Like you, you, and I think he knows that. I mean, Pedersen's 7.35. You, you can't have Besser coming in at 7.5. It would throw a lot of things off. So I don't know, you know how much input he had into uh, some of that, but I do think that he wants to stay... I think the AAV, the Canucks came up on it because they kind of had to. I think there's a bit of a stall or probably around the six, 6.2 million mark. And the Canucks came up because, hey, they they do have the room for it. And uh, I, right now, though, as we know, they're, they're tied up against the cap and we'll see what comes next because uh, right now they don't have enough space to make the moves that they want. 
and certainly next off season as well. Yeah, like I look at the deal as it was a compromise on both sides. Um, I think we're going to look back in maybe a year or two's time and think that the Canucks got a really good deal for Besser. Today's value, I don't think, I think the Canucks overpaid a little bit, but I think I think we're going to get full value for him. And the interest, interesting thing about this deal is the cap hit is flat, is the same rate throughout the entire structure of the three-year deal. So you know how sometimes you'll have a deal and it'll be $18 million, but it'll be $7 million year one, $6 million year two, and then $5 million year three kind of thing, where this one is 6.65 throughout the entirety of the three-year deal, which is interesting because a lot of deals aren't like that, and you would have thought that maybe they would have wanted to pay him higher up front and then have the lower cap hit for the following couple of years. Um, but that's not how the deal was structured. So uh, I, I think it's a win. Uh, you know, I also think management was kind of, there was a deadline, right? What was it? July 11th was the deadline that they had to either get an extension signed or offer him the qualifying offer. Um, so they were kind of under the, under the gun themselves, but I, I'm glad both sides kind of came to an agreement and, like I said, I I, I, I think Besser is going to have a, a very big year next year. I really do. There's also the arbitration deadline, though, that was coming up that they beat. And that was, I think, July 3rd. And that was the other one that they had to keep an eye on because that wasn't really a, a preferred route, certainly from Besser's camp. It sounds like the Canucks may have been a little more likely. I don't think they wanted to. The going that route is never good. But that was another deadline that was coming up that the Canucks had to look at as, as well. So they avoid all that. They avoid all the messiness come up a bit on the number and uh and again there's not a lot of trade protection on there should something happen at some point whether it's this offseason or the final year of his deal there is room to maneuver because you know three years from now the Canucks keep Besser he'll be a 28 year old UFA yeah uh again I I think it's a good deal uh and by then the salary cap should go up who knows where this team's going to be in three years but with the salary cap going up and I have to assume that this current management group is going to be able to shed some salary between now and then who's to say that they couldn't sign Besser for another five years after that even though he is UFA Himself and Connor Garland are right now the only two forwards the Canucks have under contract for the 2024-25 season. I know that's a couple years away, obviously, but it's also just kind of shows what the Canucks have to think about coming up. Uh, you know, a couple of years from now, Pedersen and Pod Colson will both be RFAs. Kuzmenko joins Horvat and Miller as UFAs uh, at the end of this season. So up front, there there's certainly chance for changing of the guard um with regards to that i mean we got to talk about jt miller his name is as we mentioned at the start absolutely everywhere you hear the devils the rangers the capitals all really big on him what do you think is going to happen with jt miller i mean there was reports i think either this morning or late last night that the canucks and the Miller camp are going to try one last attempt at signing, getting an extension in place. Um, from what I've seen and heard from some of the pundits on Twitter, uh, they've said that one of the biggest holdups from the Canucks point of view is term. 
Uh, I don't think they mind paying him what, you know, eight and a half, maybe even nine million. I think it's the term that a lot of the this management group is a little bit worried about, which is which is I'm glad to see because that was one of the big issues with the previous management group was term. They would just give out term like it was Halloween or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it was it was incredible. So I I, I do think he gets traded though. I I just there's so many things I, and I understand it. Like he's a great player and obviously, you know, he's a guy you want on your team and he's a guy that helps you win games. But right now the way this team is constructed, it's not good enough. So you have to make a change somewhere. There's no way you can just go back into next season with pretty much the same lineup outside of Kuzmenko and a couple of free agent signings that I'm sure they're going to do this off season. You've got to make some kind of trade to the core and shake things up a bit and be able to get younger, be able to to also get a good young prospect that can theoretically play in your lineup next year and potentially get a draft pick that is also helping you restock the cupboard. I mean, I floated this one out there and I actually think it's a relatively fair deal, but maybe not. But I honestly think you trade Miller to the Columbus Blue Jackets for the 12th overall pick and Adam Boquist. You get a right shot defenseman who can play in your lineup next year. And you have the 12th and the 15th pick. And then I would turn around and I would draft Liam Ogren, 12, and Noah Ostelin, which might be a reach at 15, but I would draft him at 15. There's your 3C, your future 3C and Noah Ostelin. And then to have a line in two years of Liam Ogren, Noah Ostelin, and Nils Hoglander. I mean, come on, dude. The, the, the umlets. The problem with that, though, is that you have no guarantee that either of those players will be available at either spot, right? Like you're that's you can't you're you're looking at the trade and the draft separately. Like what if those players are gone? Like the trade itself, I think you could squeeze Columbus maybe for a little bit more than that, uh, personally. But even like Boquist and a, and the twelfth, like I mean, sure, I'd I'd certainly listen to that a hundred percent. I'd listen to that and see where they're going. And I know Columbus has expressed interest in the the Miller camp, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if. Uh, if Columbus is, or if there's some teams with multiple first round picks and then if they're really going to be players and what they're going to do. Yeah. And I think Columbus wants to start being competitive and take that next step, right? Like they have already got the sixth overall pick from Chicago in the Seth, uh, Seth Jones trade. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, they're still getting a top 10 pick. Um, I, I just look at that. I think it's similar value to obviously what Minnesota got for Fiala from LA, but it's a little bit better in the sense Boquist is farther ahead than Brock Faber is, and the first round pick is a lot higher than the first round pick Minnesota is getting from LA. So I, I look at it as it's kind of a comp in that regard. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like I think. I think Noah Oslin will definitely be there at 15. Will Liam Ogarin be there at 12? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, again, you don't... I, I was just saying that would be the ideal situation for me if I was at the draft table. I know there's a couple other, like, draft uh, defen- eligible defensemen. They're left-shot defensemen, but I know there's Pavel uh, Mentikov, I think is his name, and uh, Dalton uh, Matejchuk, or Dayton Matejchuk. Dalton, I think it is. Um so obviously there, there's options outside of the guys I'm saying, but I think it's a pretty fair trade and I think it's a reasonable deal. The big issue I think for any team that's going to be trying to give up major assets to acquire a guy like JT Miller is can they get an extension done? And you look at what happened as soon as Fiala got traded to LA, within 24 hours, LA had an extension signed. 
Well, and I think, uh, you know, especially looking at Washington, by the way, uh, that Adam Boquist is also acquired in the Seth Jones deal. So it'd be like two parts of the Seth Jones deal that you're you're talking about right there. The only other problem with Boquist, though, is he's uh, RFA. He is not signed. So you need to sign Boquist uh, as well. So I don't know what kind of price tag a guy like that would would command. Um, I think Washington's an interesting one to watch, though, uh, as well, because Backstrom, geez, I wouldn't be surprised if Backstrom maybe done done you know and they want to fill that void uh and uh there's a lot of interest from the that division in jt miller and i think washington would fit right in there and they've got a couple of of young parts that would be a look i i guess you know we could sit here and, and speculate trades all day but i do think at the crux of it uh you know i agree with that and i've gone back and forth on this so many times but in order for the canucks to kind of fulfill what they need to do and what they want to do JT Miller is a piece that can really get them onto the fast track with that. The Canucks only have a little over 2 million in cap space right now. And, you know, maybe you can trade a guy like Tyler Myers as well. I, I think Myers is tradable and his, his, his name has come up quite a bit uh, around town as well. Um, if you could get Myers and Miller off the books, let's just say you get both, them both off the books. That's 11 plus in payroll right there and you get a couple of young guys whether it's guys on the last bit of their entry-level deals or guys on cheaper deals uh, that that only a couple million let's say it's like let's say two roster players and some draft picks come back and let's say the roster picks are like an entry level and like a three million dollar player all of a sudden you're saving seven million dollars in cap space right there and you've got younger assets to work with that's the sort of flexibility that this uh, Rutherford and Alvin regime have been talking about. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Myers does have value. I think it's from what I think it was Satyar Shah, Shah reported this, that the Canucks want actually some kind of asset back for Myers. They don't just want to trade him as a salary dump, but I do think there are teams out there. I mean, there's been rumblings that Winnipeg might look to reacquire Myers Winnipeg's, a, they're an interesting team. I, they seem to be really kind of at a crossroads of what they need to do. Um, but the other team that I think could be interested in Myers, and I think, you know, he would be interested in going there, is Dallas. Dallas, the Stars are about to lose John Klimberg in free agency. I don't think there's any chance he resigns in Dallas. Um, so he could go in there and replace Klimberg, and he's originally from Dallas. Um, I, I believe he grew up in Dallas. He's got a weird little origin story where I think he was like, I think he's Canadian, but he grew up in Dallas or vice versa. I think he was born in Dallas, but grew up in Canada. I'm not quite sure. But the Dallas Stars are a team that I think could have some interest in acquiring a guy like Tyler Myers. He would help fill the gap of losing someone like John Klinberg. Um And yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, if you were able to shed that kind of salary it would open up other avenues because if you look at, and this just goes to prove why cap space is so important and it is such an asset to this teams in this league, look at what happened and probably the best trade he ever made during the Gillis era was acquiring Christian Erhoff from the San Jose Sharks. The only reason Christian Erhoff was made available for pennies on the dollar is because San Jose at the time was trying to shed salary because they had just acquired Danny Heatley. And the fact that the Canucks had the cap space and the wherewithal to swoop in when they did and acquire an asset like Christian Erhoff for pennies on the dollar, that just goes to show you why having that cap space available 
is important because it allows you to take advantage of teams that are looking to shed cap space in a very quick way because they've acquired an asset or they're about to acquire an asset, but the only way they can acquire that asset is they need to cut salary themselves. So yeah, I, I, I think both those guys would make sense. The only issue with Airhoff is you need someone you need someone to replace him. You need to find a, a, another right shot D to replace him. With, with Airhoff, he hasn't played for a while though. Sorry, Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers. I, I swear every third or fourth episode you bring up that Christian Erhoff trade because, yes, it was one of the bigger coups in uh, in Canucks history. Uh, and, and, yeah, like you said, it was a, it was a pure salary dump. Um, Myers, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, you mentioned Dallas and Winnipeg. That's the Rick Bonus path uh, right there as well, isn't it? Rick Bonus, <laughs> former Canucks uh, behind the bench there, and uh, he's now the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets, which I think is a good hire personally because the Jets – did seem to be an absolute mess last year with guys like Dubois and Shifley not really buying in. I think bonus is going to be a good hire for them. Um, and, and again, you know, it's funny, like, I mean, yeah, you get something back from Myers, but, you know, he's 32 at $6 million for another two years. To me, a cap dump is just as, just as fine. And, you know, I've, I've defended Tyler Myers a lot on here, but if you could get Myers as a bit of a cap dump just for that space... You know, I'm not I'm not against that either. I mean, uh, it's for me, it's that cap space is is worth something and you can fill that with. And I know there's not a lot of right handed defensemen available on the open market this year, but I think there's some cheaper options that could work with this team. Well, and, you know, a trade that happened this past week was with between Nashville and Tampa was Ryan McDonough. And that was a cap dump. And, you know, McDonough is a better defenseman than Tyler Myers, but Still, you know, I mean, McDonough's a bit older for sure. Um, there's a lot of mileage on him given the last few, you know, Stanley Cup playoff runs that Tampa's been on. But he's still a good player, uh, you know, and he's probably, not probably, he is a better defenseman than Tyler Myers. And Nashville, despite his contract, acquired him. And I believe he has two years left at like, is it 6.5 is what McDonough's getting paid? Something like that. And that was a huge cap dump and a cap relief for Tampa. And I'm sure Tampa really likes McDonough and they didn't want to necessarily do it, but they're looking long-term and they're, you know, they've got guys like Palat they want to resign. And, um, I mean, we weren't even barely a week out of the Stanley cup final being done. And, and Breezeball is making, uh, Julian Breezeball is making trades like this, which again, why are teams help helping Tampa? I don't know, but it, you know, if, if you can, and again, I know McDonough's a better defenseman than Myers, but if you can dump McDonough for pretty much nothing, I would assume the Canucks can do a similar thing with Myers. Do you have any interest in any of these uh, right-hand defensemen? These are a couple of right-hand uh, UFA defensemen. Um, Chris Letang, John Klingberg, Josh Manson, Troy Stetcher. Uh, I mean, Stetcher as a bottom pairing, but I feel like we got enough bottom pairing defensemen right now in this organization. So I, I wouldn't say that. I don't have any interest in Chris Letang. I mean, I know he put up a career last year, but I just his age and his injury history, he's just a guy that I'm, I'm not interested in. Interested in John Klingberg is going to come at a really high cost. Uh, the guy that I think is fits, but again, he's a bit older and he's probably going to command a high cap hit as well as Josh Manson. Yeah. I have heard rumblings that Colorado wants to resign Manson and I don't know if they'll be able to, but I've heard rumblings today. I believe that they're, they're trying to 
re-sign Manson and Nikushkin, whether or not they get that done. Uh, but out of those four, the only one I would have serious interest in would be Josh Manson. But I just, unfortunately, I just think given his age and the amount of money that some team's probably going to pay him, I, I can't see the Canucks being interested in a player like that. Right. And that's kind of kind of my point with this is like, you know, Josh Manson does sound the most appealing out of those, but he's 30 years old. He's older than and Miller. And so I guess, you know, if you're doing Myers as a dump, that's where, you know, I do see the problem for the Canucks. It's like, well, we're not going to be able to find a right hand defenseman that really kind of fits what we're looking for or is going to be an improvement or a close comparable. Like uh, all the guys are going to be older defensemen who are probably going to cost too much money. So I can see the point with wanting to get an asset for Myers uh, with a right D. But again, I think that also comes down to if you're dealing Miller here, seeing what sort of right D you can get in there. It's tough right now, though. It's tough to find RDs. And I mean, there are RFAs out there as well. But uh, geez, I don't know. Like, I mean, there is still the part of me, though, that if you could find a taker for uh, for Myers right now, though, like, just I, I would be if someone's interested, I'd be picking up that phone right away. Um, you know, a guy who is more interested in me would be a guy like Ethan Bear right now. You know, he's RFA yeah. and, you know, uh, Carolina's given permission for him to to talk to teams. Um, of course, we've heard in a couple of dream scenarios, Noah Dobson. He's another RFA uh, with the Islanders. Again, that's not going to be easy. Sean Dersey down in L.A. There could be a deal to be had with L.A. They've got a whole bunch of young guys coming up. Um, so, you know, those are a couple of guys, at least on the RFA side. And, of course, Adam Boquist, who uh, we talked about earlier. Um, those are all guys that I think uh, would be interesting to watch but yeah the ufa crop on the right side as usual is not really what the canucks are looking for right now no i mean the last big name right shot ufa defenseman was dougie hamilton last year and he signed with the new jersey devils right they, they generally don't become available in free agency um and dougie hamilton for whatever reason has kind of jumped you know from team to team over the past few years God knows why, because he's 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 a very good defenseman, um, but yeah, it just doesn't really happen. Uh, McDonough, do you know off the top of your head, is he a right shot defenseman or is he left? Uh, I think he's I think left, but I he's uh, left. Okay, I uh, again, I have a fifty percent chance of getting that right, so uh, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure. Maybe he plays he plays boner hockey. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? Play boner hockey when you had to put the stick in between your legs and play hockey like that? We called it boner hockey. Maybe that's just never a, played like that. Maybe that's just an immature Islander thing, but uh, I still remember that boner hockey. Um, trying to find Ryan McDonough is left side. Yeah, he is. Um, okay, so uh, he slides in but I, uh, I, on a very good left side in Nashville with Roman Yossi and Matthias Ekholm. Like, geez, that's a enviable yeah. left side. Um, but I agree. I, I agree with you, Pete. Like, I think the only way the Canucks are gonna acquire a, a solid right shot defenseman is going to be the RFA market. They're going to have to target a team that is struggling to sign one of their RFA young players. And you're going to have to give up an asset to get an asset. And I, I think it makes a ton of sense. Like that's why I think like an Adam Bolquist makes sense to me because I don't think he's a guy that's going to command a huge amount to resign. Um, the other team that I like going back to the JT Miller trade is Carolina. You know, they've got, Martin Natchez, who I really like, uh, Scott Morrow, who's a right shot defenseman. 
and you know maybe a first round pick i've seen that floated out there i would take that deal in a heartbeat because i really like martin natchez i think he's a really good i think he had the fastest clock speed throughout the entire year last year i think it was 23 kilometers an hour the guy is an absolute burner and i think he's just getting into his peak but again he's another rfa um the thing with Carolina, though, is they're notoriously bad at wanting to sign their players long-term. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Ned, right? He had that great rookie year in Carolina. I don't think it was a rookie year, but, you know, he was he had that great year in Carolina, and then he was RFA, and then they traded him to Detroit. Um, they generally don't re-sign their own players. Dougie Hamilton, you know, we talked about Dougie Hamilton. They, their owner is very shrewd when it comes to committing long-term money to his players. So, you know, maybe Natchez could be had, but then... They're in a similar position with JT Miller because are they going to be willing to back the Brinks truck up to sign Miller to a long-term deal? Probably not. You know, it would be uh, funny. One UFA right-side defenseman uh, that the Canucks, if they brought in, would just cause all kinds of chaos is Matt Benning, uh, Jim Benning's nephew, is a (laughs) right-side 28-year-old defenseman with Nashville. He's a UFA. Geez, that would be uh, some seriously fun drama um doug let's switch to the draft here a little bit uh because we're gonna have a lot more time to speculate and see what happens and i do think we're gonna see something happen with the draft so uh we decided we're gonna pick a couple of guys we're gonna pick three guys each that uh want to just kind of talk about a little bit uh with that would maybe be a good fit for the canucks uh available at 15 so um doug why don't you start first there yeah, I mean, so there's a few guys that I kind of like uh, that should be available to the Canucks um, at 15. One of them is uh, Liam Ogarin, who I talked about earlier. He's a left winger, uh, Swedish left winger. Um, I really like him, and the more and his name's been coming up a lot uh, as far as you know possible Canuck players drafted. Uh, I believe Thomas Drance wrote uh, an article about him. Uh, and him potentially the Canucks having interest in him, but he's a big left winger who captained the world junior team for Sweden this year. Um, he can skate very well for the size of a player. He is, um, he's smart defensively. He, you know, his defensive game could definitely get better, but you know, from scouting reports I've read, he is actually a pretty decent defensive player and he's got a really, really good shot. Um, so that's one of the guys I would really hope and like the Canucks to be able to draft. The other guy who seems to be rising higher and higher on the draft board, and I doubt he's going to be there at 15. I could actually see the Detroit Red Wings picking this guy at nine, I believe they're drafting at, and that is Marco Casper. I really like Marco Casper. Uh, he's a guy whose draft stock is really rising. Uh, he's a Swiss-born player who I believe played in the SHL, SEHL last year. Um, so he again, I don't think he's going to be there. The more and more mock drafts I see, the farther and farther up he continues to climb. So I don't think he'll be there for the Canucks at 15, but he is a guy I do really, really like. Um, and then the other one is a defenseman. And again, it's it, it's tough because obviously we were just talking about right shot defensemen and most of the defensemen that are going to be available to the Canucks in this range are going to be left shot defensemen. But it's a guy, uh, Denton Matejchuk, who uh, I know Cam Robinson's been very high on outside of the top two uh, Czech defensemen in Nemec and Juric. He's the third best defenseman, at least in his mind, in this draft and has 
tremendous upside. He's a guy that could definitely be there and might possibly be there for the Canucks at 15. Um, but yeah, those would be the three guys I would I'd be ecstatic if the Canucks are able to draft at uh, draft this year at 15. Well, you're kind enough to tell me a couple of days ago who uh, you were choosing, so I chose different ones just to, to keep it interesting uh, for us. Um, and actually, all three of the ones I chose are centers. I think this is a good draft for centers, and I feel like the Canucks are in a position where it would be great to have another good center coming into the pipeline uh, because, like you said as well, there's no right side, right shot D really anywhere near where the Canucks are picking unless they move up really high in the draft or fall really far back. It's not worth them going for a right side D. So I went with uh, centers. Uh, first one, Frank Nazar uh, out of the States. Um, now, this is a guy who's bounced around draft rankings a lot, uh, but he's put up some great numbers with the National Development Program. Uh, I've seen some interviews with him. Seems like a real character guy. Uh, and I've seen him, you know, in some people, I've seen him as, as, you know, in the top 10 and others have him kind of more in the late first round, which is kind of a common theme with most of these guys, actually, I, I have. Um, but I like Brad Lambert from what I've, I've seen of him. He's a smaller guy, but... Excellent vision, excellent speed. Uh, so Frank Nazar is my first one. Second one, Finnish, na- Finnish player with an American name, Brad Lambert. I mean, uh, I had to put this one in just because. Uh, he, again, he's got a decent frame on him. Another center, six foot, 183 pounds. Um, again, though, kind of divisive. I know Craig Button actually has him as a second rounder. Uh, and some people have wondered about his inconsistency. Some people wonder about just how his game will translate from Finland to North America. Um, but he's a really fast player and he's got that kind of stick handling that it reminds me a little bit of when I saw Niels Hoglander when I was wanting the Canucks to draft him kind of reminds me of that. But again, Hoglander was a second rounder. So Brad Lambert, Maybe uh, as well. I've got him after Frank Nazar out of the three. Uh, But the one I'm most keen on, actually, is Connor Geeky. Um, I think Connor Geeky is a guy that I think a lot of teams will kick. Now, the thing with Connor Geeky is, again, he's ranked a little bit, generally ranked a little bit later. So if the Canucks took him at 15, some people may say that's a little bit of a reach. I, I don't think it's a reach at 15. I think this is exactly the kind of player you want. He's already big. He's already 6'4", 205. He's a big guy. He does everything, though, and I, I like everything I've seen from him. He's playing with uh, with the Winnipeg Ice, who's a WHL kid as well, which is also where Matthew Savoie is, is playing. Um, uh, so he's got the, the potential to have a really good junior year uh, as well because I, I also hope that whoever the Canucks draft, they return to junior uh, for another year and don't try and rush into the big club uh, like we've seen so many times. Um but I think he's a guy that would uh, fit a lot of bills. And again, maybe if there's a, some shuffling or trading down or whatever, if the Canucks acquire a later pick in the first round, that'd be another guy. But Connor Geeky, if the Canucks took him at 15, I don't think that'd be a reach. I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I mean, Geeky's a guy that I, I actually don't think is going to get past Winnipeg if he's still there. Um, you know, obviously he's playing in Winnipeg in the dub. So, you know, they have a firsthand look at him. Um his size is impressive. Uh, I know his skating is a little bit questionable, but you know he's he's a very interesting pro, uh, prospect. 
Uh, and then Brad Lambert. I mean, to me, Brad Lambert's one of those guys who was ranked in, as like heading into this year was like, I think a top three prospect heading into this year. And for whatever reason, he he bounced between a couple of different teams in Europe um, and he struggled at times, but he is the considered to be the best skater in this draft. And, um, you know, it, it, there's some people that are still really high on Lambert. And like you said, there's people like Craig Button who have him as a mid first round pick. So he's probably going to be mid the second, most mid second round pick. Mid second, sorry, that's what I meant to say. Is a mid second. Um, he's probably the most he the the prospect in this draft that's kind of got the the biggest range of outcomes as far as he could be a top ten pick. He could go late first, mid second. Um, so he's he's an interesting guy for sure. And then Frankie Nazar, like I, I don't think Nazar gets to the Canucks at fifteen, but by all accounts, I mean he is super skilled. Uh, he's a guy that a lot of people think you know could be you know a top five pick, you know, um, to, for some people. Uh, so I would be very happy if the Canucks were able to get Frankie Naz- Nazar at fifteen. Would you be comfortable drafting a Russian this year? Because there are a couple of Russians who uh, are supposed to go fairly high in in the draft. I know there's uh, Dan- Danila Yurov is uh, one guy I've seen play a bit, and I, I quite like him, but I think he could be gone. And uh, I'm gonna I always I always struggle with, with some of these Russian names. Ivan Mirishnichenko, I think I said it right, uh, but. We'll see if any uh, Russians out there, when they hear this, start throwing borscht at me when I walk down the street. Um, Those are uh, a couple guys, most ranked most, again, because uh, some of these guys are all over the place. Uh, Two really interesting prospects for me as well. But do you think, uh, you know, you've seen what's happened with Fedotov now uh, being not allowed to leave Russia, the the Flyers goalie prospect. is I know the Canucks got uh, Kuzmenko over here, but... I wonder if you're going to see a bit of the Russian factor. I wonder if those are two guys that the Canucks are keeping an eye on because they could fall to them as well, or, or it, depending on how you where you have them in your rankings. But I think those are two guys to watch too. I, I definitely think that there are going to be teams passing on Russian players this year uh, due to what's going on over in Russia. I mean, I mean you brought up the... Uh, Philadelphia Flyers prospect uh, Fedotenko uh, and you know that's a very scary situation that's going on over there um, you know and hopefully he's okay I know there was a report that you know thoughts that he may or may not have been poisoned um, so I definitely think that GMs are gonna not every GM but I do think there are gonna be GMs that are gonna actively avoid Russian players just because due to the uncertainty of what's going on um, you know that also to me is why I think if you're the Canucks management, you want to try to acquire more picks because you might be able to get some late round picks that are first or second round talent because so many of these Russian players are going to get passed up on. Um, Yeah. I mean, I've seen reports and again, you know, these are guys far more in the know than I am. I think Frank Saravelli, uh, he was on, he was on, uh, the afternoon show yesterday, I believe they asked him about, you know, the Russian factor. And he said, yeah, I, I definitely see there are going to be teams that are going to avoid Russian players. Obviously, some teams won't and they'll still, you know, take that big swing. But yeah, it's a scary situation right now. And, you know, you feel bad for a lot of these young men who are, you know, being forced into this situation. And for those that don't know, Ivan Fedotov, uh, it's, the Russians are claiming he's been dodging uh, forced 
military service. And so now he's at a remote military base um, and he was getting ready to head over to Philly. He's a late round pick by the Flyers. It could be a thing. Maybe teams look more and take gambles with Russians later, but that's a couple other names to kind of watch uh, as well as we get ready for the draft to see what happens with the Russians. Uh, a couple more things uh, to talk about with the Canucks, Doug. Uh, coaching uh, and Philly again. Brad Shaw goes to Philly, and Mike Yao comes from Philly. Uh, so a little bit of swap of assistant coaches there for the Canucks. Jeremy Colleton, formerly with the Blackhawks, also coming over, which bumps Trent Call up, and Ryan Johnson also gets a promotion. Yeah, I mean... I'll start off with Jeremy Colton for Abbotsford Canucks. I, I actually really like the hire. I know when Chicago hired him, uh, he was one of the younger coaches hired in the NHL. And, you know, he was considered to be kind of like this boy genius coach. And obviously Chicago's had a lot going on the last couple of years. Uh, some of it, the majority of it, not in Collison's control. Um, talking about the whole Kyle Beach situation, so, yeah, I really like that move. I think it's interesting that Trent Cole gets the jump up to the big club. There was lots of talk and speculation about Mike Yo joining the coaching staff here. And then uh, Brad Shaw. Like, I like Brad Shaw and what he, you know, seemingly did with the defense last year, as I did think once Baumgartner and Green were let go, uh, Shaw took over the defense. I thought there was a lot more structure to the defense. So I am sad to see him go, but I know him and Torts are really tight. They coached together in Columbus for quite a few years, so it makes sense. And I mean, yeah, Yo's got great experience. Cull is a guy that's, you know, been an up and comer. Uh, so I do think, you know, if things bottom out with Boudreaux heading into next year, there is that kind of backup plan. Uh, for a guy like Mike Yo to step in or uh, Trent Cole. Yeah, and uh, also Jason King is uh, is there as well, Jason Sedin. So a couple of coaching changes here and there, but uh, it sounds like the Canucks are, again, the Canucks are getting a lot of little pieces of business uh, in order. And I mean, Besser's not a little piece of business, but something that W- would have caused problems the longer it went on. Coaches, you get that all done early. And even some of these small moves, you know, Jack Rathbone, Noah Yulson, uh, nice to see him coming back, and Will Lockwood. I mean, there's no real doubt with Rathbone and Lockwood are coming back, but this new regime also liked enough out of Noah Yulson to bring him back. So, again, just kind of obviously minor moves, but the Rathbone is a one-way deal as well. I mean, it sounds like they're going to give Rathbone a shot to be that third left D. Uh, Brad Hunt, it sounds like, isn't coming back right now um which right now as it would stand would probably mean travis dermid plays the offside i always forget about travis dermid when we talk about this team um and you know you could i mean if myers goes as a sa- as a cap dump and just getting picks your right side right now would be dermid on the offside shannon kyle burrows now that's not spectacular but it's palatable but it's uh it's certainly especially when you have a young jack rathbone in there there's could be a lot of minutes there for uh, Hughes and OEL up on the left side. So uh, I do think that, that you need some more help back there. But again, this is just some kind of tidy business, I think. Uh, Rathbone, decent hit, you know, 850000 for two years. I mean, that could really be a bargain in year two um, from what we've seen from Rathbone. It's a frustrating year for him uh, last year, and you know I've always been a big fan of of the guy. Uh, Will Lockwood, I thought, also looked good, and hopefully he sticks around. And just another year for Noah Yulson, and again, right side D. Um, so 
Uh, he'll mostly play down in Abbotsford, local guy as well. So, you know, he wanted to stay. But again, just getting a lot of these affairs in order so you have more of a framework to really understand what you're doing here, um, I think is very important. Yeah, I mean, the Jack Rothbone deal is great. Uh, he, despite having, you know, so many injuries and in COVID last year, he was a point-of-game player in the AHL, um, which is very impressive, especially for a defenseman in the AHL. Uh, so I think Jack Rathbone, given the opportunity, is ready to be a full-time NHLer next year. Uh, I do think you know they want him to work on his defensive game, which I'm sure he is working on in the offseason. Uh, the other guy that could also play the right side and has done it in the past is OEL. Uh, he's a guy that they could move over to the right side and you keep Dermot on the left. And then that gives a little bit more stability to your right side. Um, but when you say it out loud, when you say, you know, you could have a right side of, you know, Dermot or insert OEL Burroughs and Shen, it doesn't sound great. Especially when you look at like what Colorado had mm-hmm. to ice on their right side this yeah, year. Colorado. So that's why that was crazy there. I know. Be- I agree, but that's why it's so hard, I think, for this Canucks management group to trade a guy like Tyler Myers just for cap space because we already broke down, you know, the who isn't available as far as UFA goes. There's no great right shot defenseman available that I would want the Canucks to sign to a big long term deal. Um, so you, you need to find some sort of replacement level player for him. And I know people say, will argue, well, he's already a replacement level player. And, you know, I would rather have played with Besser in North Dakota. Why can't I think of his name now? Troy Stetcher? Uh, Stetcher. I know people, there, there are people out there who are going to argue that Troy Stetcher is a better player than Tyler Myers. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really agree with that. Um, you know, Stetcher played in Detroit and, you know, he wasn't, and you know, and, an everyday and NHL L- LA, LA, LA's yeah. got a lot of players on the right side to be fair. No, but Troy Stetcher, um, so, Troy know, Stetcher played in LA. Yeah. Yeah. But he also played in Detroit. He signed yeah. that free agent deal with Detroit yeah. and he couldn't, he wasn't an every game player in Detroit when they're a team that, you know, they need bodies in every position essentially. And he couldn't crack the lineup every night there. Yeah. So yeah, I, you know, I, it, it just, they need to figure something out. And I, I think, you know, if you can acquire a right shot defenseman in a JT Miller trade, whether that's a Ty Smith or Damon Severson from New Jersey, uh, you know, I know the Canucks are holding out on Braden Schneider from the Rangers. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Rangers, that's kind of the stalling, the halting point to trade negotiations there. You just, you, you, you need to be able to replace Tyler Myers with an everyday NHL player. And I, I don't, right now, outside of a JT Miller trade, I don't see that happening by just using him as a cap dump. Yeah, Stetcher had all of three points last year. And by comparison, Myers had 18. Again, nothing major, but uh, it, it's Myers also did play every game for the Canucks last year, which uh, which is notable. Um, I mean, that's six times the amount of points that Stetcher had, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, he's worth six Troy Stetchers by that math. Um, just one final <laughs> thing before we get into the free pour. Uh, interesting day in the hockey world. A couple of firsts. Great to see Mike Greer, who uh, was a guy I was always a fan of uh, when, when he's a player, except when he was with the Oilers. Um, uh, he is the first black general manager in NHL history. 
Uh, I think that's awesome. He's the new GM of the Sharks. Uh, Jessica Campbell uh, gets behind the bench down in the AHL for Seattle and for Coachella, for Coachella Valley. Uh, she is going to be an assistant coach behind the bench. That's also a first in the AHL. Haley Wickenheiser gets promoted to uh, AGM status in Toronto. I believe she is now the fourth female AGM. And, of course, two of them are here in Vancouver. Yeah, I, I mean, it's great news. You know, it's it's great to see the diversity that the league is slowly but surely trending in. I mean, Mike Greer, I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, one day we don't have to say, oh, the first black general manager hired. We can just say, yeah, Mike Greer, great general manager, great hire by the San Jose Sharks. You know what I mean? He was the best person for the job. Um, but congratulations to Mike Greer, because even though I wish we didn't have to talk about it every time, it is another milestone you know it's another you know wall broken down um and you know same goes to you know the 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 female gms that we've seen hired you know the female coaches we've seen hired interesting thing about mike greer his brother chris greer is the general manager of the miami dolphins did you know that pete no that's pretty wild yeah, dude. His his brother is the general manager of the Miami Dolphins. And Chris Greer, or pardon me, Mike, that's Chris Greer. And Mike Greer, as of today, is the general manager of the San Jose Sharks. So ah. they're both uh, GMs of fish teams. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's kind of weird. It's like the Dolphins versus uh, the Sharks. Imagine them swinging some deals. All of a sudden, the San Jose Sharks have a bunch of like 300-pound offensive linemen on the back end next year. <laughs> But no, it's an historic day in the NHL, and congratulations to Mike Greer. Uh, I think it's awesome, and you know, I would like to see you know more. I would like to see more hires like this throughout all sports, not just the NHL. Yeah, let's have the the White Boys Club for sure. It makes it more interesting and uh, gets different different sets of eyes, and other people see this too. You know, like uh, it, kids, uh, younger girls or younger black kids will see this happening and and uh it opens up the sport a lot more uh to to more people and which is something that i know we've all talked about quite a bit but it's good to see uh, a bit more slowly but surely kind of moving in the right direction doug let's take this into the free pour it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment and I want to talk about a concert I'm going to next week. It's actually the first concert I'm actually going to since the pandemic's happened. I've been to a few comedy shows, but I haven't actually gone to see live music. And I'm going to go see Fleet Foxes next week. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. They're a band I've, I've loved for years and years and years. They're originally from uh, Seattle, so just down the road from us here in Vancouver. Um... And this will be my first time seeing them live. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Fleet Foxes who are playing in Vancouver next Wednesday. And to just live music, again, being a thing. Uh, it's something I've dearly and sorely missed during these last two, two and a half years. And I'm looking forward to having my first concert experience again. You know, what's funny is when I was going into my free pour segment, I was going to talk about a band that I'm going to see tomorrow night, Flight Facilities. It would have been the FF bands. Uh, they're playing tomorrow, Wednesday, which I guess is the day we release this at uh, the Commodore. I was going to originally do that, but uh, I might save that for next week. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about bicycles in the city. I know I've occasionally gone on on rants a little bit. 
But my friend, uh, a couple of my friends, they got an e-bike. And we were hanging out at Jericho Beach the other day. And they're like, oh, you should try it out. And we're like, all right. Like, I've, I've ridden an e-bike before, but it's been a while. I just went for a cruise. I'm like, oh, okay, I can instantly see the appeal of these things. And I was just, just like flying around, not even really having to pedal, move around. But I will say, however, if you've got your e-bike and you're riding in the bike lanes, like, for the love of God, like, just let us know you're coming up behind us. Because I've had a few people just come whipping by, like, at just crazy ass speeds. So if you're an e-biker, hey, great, you're not driving around. I love that. But please... Just give us a little bell or something when you're passing. And please, wear a helmet. And don't put headphones in either. Like, that's just yeah, that's just a death wish in downtown Vancouver. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 117. Just about in the books. The last episode before the draft. Is this the last episode where we talk about JT Miller? It's going to be a fascinating week in Canucks land. And then after that, we have free agency. I mean, geez, we got a, we got a really exciting eight days coming up here for Canucks fans. Well, for hockey fans in general. It definitely won't be the last time we talk about JT Miller because if he does get traded, we're definitely going to be breaking down every aspect of the trade and whether or not the Canucks got full value for him. But it's one of the more exciting weeks in hockey, despite the fact that there is no hockey being played. I always love the draft. I always love, well, I don't want to say I always love free agency. Free agency the last couple of years, I think, has given most Canuck fans PTSD. I think this year uh, will be different, and I hope it's going to be different. Um, but yeah, man, I, I'm really looking forward to the draft meetup this Thursday, uh, and I'm just very interested to see what the Canucks do or don't do during the draft. Yeah, I should have said the last time we talked about Miller as a Canuck, because uh, we will certainly be talking about Miller next episode regardless and yeah do come on down and join us at the american 3:30 on thursday july 7th we will be there for the entire first round we got a good little crew coming out and there are some more spaces available so please do let us know if you are interested and you can reach us on twitter i'm at pete underscore gas and also while you're at it check out our playlist on spotify the connect speakeasy outro playlist all sorts of great tunes, including this one. Get added onto that. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canuck Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego. Say I wear you out.